Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hey, welcome. I'm Matt Van Cleve, one of the teaching pastors at Blue Oaks. Uh, If this is your first time at Blue Oaks, I just want to say a special welcome to you. I'm glad you decided to join us for this series. Over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the life of Moses, one of the most extraordinary human beings to ever live. Uh, Moses is a pivotal character in the Old Testament. Uh, Humanly speaking, he was the founder of the nation of Israel. Uh, He was the giver of the law. Uh, He established Israel's worship. He organized their government. And he led them to freedom. And today, three major religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, all cite Moses as the one who brought their divinely inspired moral code. Outside of Jesus Christ, I think we could argue that he was the single most influential human being to ever live. And we're going to learn a lot from Moses over the next five weeks. Uh, I hope we can all look at him as a friend who has some amazing things to teach us about God. Well, today I want to give you a little background on his life. First of all, God called Abraham centuries before Moses to build a new community of faith, uh, the nation of Israel. And this community of faith would exist not just for one ethnic group. God said to Abraham, the whole world shall be blessed. God's dream was to redeem the human race. And he was looking for people to help him build this community of faith. And so Abraham leaves his home, goes to the promised land, but there's a famine. And if you remember the story, you know that Abraham's descendants went to Egypt and Joseph became a top official under Pharaoh and his family was honored. Uh, But time passes and the writers of the Old Testament tell us that something like 400 years pass after Joseph. Uh, Exodus 1.8 tells us there was a new Pharaoh who came to power in Egypt. And this Pharaoh doesn't remember and doesn't honor Joseph's descendants. Uh, While God made a promise to Israel that he would give them their own land, the promised land, their circumstances would continue to get worse and more desperate. The chance of that promise ever getting fulfilled looks more and more remote Um, through the first half of Exodus. And it's significant that the writer of Exodus does this, lets us know how desperate things are for Israel. Because when the people are rescued, when they're delivered, we will know this could only be by the hand of God. There's no other way. And the reason that's important is so that when your circumstances get desperate, when you feel a Pharaoh in your life, you will stay faithful trusting God, even in the worst possible situation you find yourself in. Exodus 1.8 says this, Then the new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. It's been centuries since Joseph died. The idea of verse 8 is not just that there's a new pharaoh, there's a whole new dynasty with no sense of obligation to Joseph or his people. The new Pharaoh feels free to enslave and terrorize the Israelites. But the more he oppresses them, the more fruitful they are, the more they multiply. 
And so what does he do? He decides on a policy of genocide. Uh, look at verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Now, these are remarkable women, and I want you to remember their names, and I'll tell you why in a minute. They defy a pharaoh and risk their own lives in this act of heroism. Uh, then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. The women don't say it's because we fear God. They say these Hebrew women are just too darn fast and their babies pop out before we get there. And I want to address this because I know this question will come up. Does this mean it's okay for me to lie? And my short answer is no. And here's my short comment on this story. Uh, if you ever are coerced into committing mass murder by a genocidal maniac, and the only way that you can think of to get out of committing murder is to deceive the genocidal maniac, uh, I will not criticize you. Uh, but if you try to use that to justify the kind of self-serving deceit that most of us engage in, that breaks community and destroys trust, uh, you're making a big mistake. Now, one other thing about this, according to the author of Exodus, what's the Pharaoh's name? Do you know? The writer never says. And this is very interesting. In the hierarchy of Egypt, the Pharaoh is all the way on the top. And the midwives are at the very bottom. They're the servants to the slaves. I mean, they don't count at all. But in God's kingdom, they're the heroes. They risk their lives. And so God is kind of saying here, Pharaoh, these women are the important ones in my kingdom. Shifra and Pua, they're going to go into my book. I want their names remembered. And today, 3,000 and some years later, we still remember the names of Shifra and Pua. And this is kind of an early indicator of the law of inversion in the kingdom of God. The first shall be last. The, the humble will be exalted. Uh, the servant will be the greatest of all. And I mention this because if you ever feel unimportant or feel like what you're doing is quite obscure, not noticed, doesn't matter, remember these two women. Every time you remember Shifra and Pua, remember faithfulness always matters to God. Faithfulness, no matter how low profile, always counts with God. Well, through these two midwives, God thwarts the will of Pharaoh, and the people become even more numerous. So in verse 22, we're told, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people, Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but, every, but let every girl live. Now think about what a precious thing a baby is. I mean, this is unconscionable what they're doing. They take these baby boys and they throw them in the Nile by the dozen, by the thousands. And the Israelites see these bodies floating in the Nile every day. Yet one of these bodies is saved. It's a boy named Moses. And the writer says he's saved by his mom. Exodus 2 is the beginning of his life. 
Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for, for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking alongside the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. And so we hear, here we have the beginning of this extraordinary life. When Moses is born and his mother sees, as the writer says, that he is a fine child. And the implication here is that the mother recognizes God's mark on this one child. She can't bear the thought of her son dying. And so she hides him. And up until this point, to the reader of scripture, it seems like God's dream is dead. I mean, God has been silent now for hundreds of years. I mean, these people have forgotten him. Uh, from Joshua 24, 14, we know that uh, the people of Israel basically have forgotten about God and were serving false gods in Egypt. And then this one little baby is born and God's dream is held together by a small thread. You see, God is at work and this baby is found by, of all people, the daughter of Pharaoh. I mean, this is the Pharaoh who condemned babies like this to death. The death sentence that the Pharaoh intended to use to destroy babies like this ends up meaning that this little baby will be raised with the finest education available in the world. Pharaoh, the one who intended to destroy Israel, ends up serving as the sponsor of the one who will liberate Israel. Moses' own sister negotiates so that he could grow up in the care of his own family in his early years. Against overwhelming odds, God is at work in the life of Moses. And his birth is not the only time. Moses' whole life, as we'll see in the weeks ahead, is a story of God's persistent and miraculous care for his people in unbelievable ways. There's an old story, I don't know if this really happened or not, but a kid comes home from Sunday school one day and his class was studying Moses and his dad asked him, hey son, what are you learning? And the kid said, dad, we've been learning about Moses. Uh, Moses was leading Israel out of Egypt and uh, he was blocked by the Red Sea and Pharaoh was chasing him. And so he got, in, he got the people into a bunch of pontoon boats and he floated them across the Red Sea. And he coordinated the transport with two-way communication system and waited until the Egyptian army was halfway across the water and blew them up with a series of ship-to-shore torpedoes. And his father said, is, is that what the teacher really said? And the kid said, no, but if I told you what really happened, you would never believe it. The whole story of Moses is the story of God doing these amazing things. 
Of course, there are times when Moses longs for God to do something and God doesn't do anything. There are times when Moses is alone and sometimes Moses follows God and sometimes he resists. He's a very human person. I want to read Exodus 2 verse 11. This is a time when Moses is not following God yet, uh, but he's concerned for his people. The writer says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Notice the writer says, he looked this way and that. He looks to the right and to the left. Which way did he not, did he not look? He didn't look up. He didn't think about God. But word of what he did got around, and Pharaoh puts a price on Moses' head. Um, So he has no people now. He has no country. He runs away. He goes to the land of the Midianites, and he's sitting by a well, and he noticed some women, uh, some young women with flocks who are being chased away, uh, kept away from the well by a group of shepherds, shepherds. Moses apparently has a passion for justice, and he just can't stand to see people oppressed. And so he single-handedly comes to their rescue. He ends up marrying one of them, a woman named Zipporah, and he has a son, and it looks like he'll spend the rest of his life as a shepherd. But there's something happening behind the scenes. No one can see it, but the writer wants us to know about what's happening behind the scenes. Exodus 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died, The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cries for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, when he says God remembered, it doesn't mean God had forgotten. Usually in the Bible, when writers talk about God remembering something, that means God is about to act now. It means watch out. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to learn what God is up to. And I believe if you commit to learning from Moses, there are four things that will happen in your life and my life. And we're going to talk about those in just a moment. All right, so if we commit to learning from Moses, four things will happen in your life and mine. And one of them is we will know God better. Moses has this insatiable appetite to know God. Uh, He's called at the burning bush, and we're going to look at that next week. Uh, Moses brings the Ten Commandments to the people. Uh, Moses is the one that God uses so that we all can learn what God's will is for human life. Moses hungers for intimacy with God. Uh, One of the richest passages in all of the Bible is where Moses enters into the tent where the pillar of God hovers. This is the presence of God. This uh, cloud by day and pillar of fire by night is about God being present with human beings. God used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. It's one of the most amazing events in scripture. And as we study this friend of God, we're going to get to know God like Moses knew God. We're going to learn to speak to God intimately as a friend in the way that Moses did. We will know God better. The second thing that will happen is we will trust God more. 
the whole story of Moses is written very carefully to testify to this amazing power of God who intervenes in what looks like an impossible situation from a human perspective. Uh, the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. Egypt is a, a world power. It's been an, an advanced civilization since the dawn of history in the Near East, which was about uh, 3000 BC. And as best we can tell, this story in the book of Exodus takes place sometime around 1300 BC. That means for 1700 years until Moses is born, Egypt has been a world power. I mean, you have to ask yourself, uh, to these people, what are the odds of this little tribe defying a nation that has been a world power for 1700 years? By the time Moses was born, I mean, pyramids were already thousand, a thousand years old. But God put his dream in the hands of this little baby in a basket, floating in the reeds, trying to keep from being killed by Pharaoh. You see, God, God's question is always, who will trust me? Will you trust me? And by this, he doesn't mean, uh, I don't want you to feel doubt. He means, will you trust me just enough to do what I say? Will you trust me enough to do what I say? And as we learn to trust God like Moses did, the third thing that we will do is we will learn to pray. Moses is going to teach us how to pray. We'll look at Moses at the burning bush where Moses was very open to God when he didn't want to do what God told him to do. We'll also learn from Moses how to pray for people. Uh, he became this amazing uh, intercessor, praying on behalf of the people of God. Uh, there's one battle where Israel is facing another nation and Moses prays for his people. Moses lifted his hands uh, in prayer. And the writer of scripture says, as long as Moses had his hands lifted in prayer, the nation of Israel would prevail. And after a while, do you know what happened? Well, his hands got tired. And so he put them down. And then Israel started to lose because God was reminding his people of the power of prayer on behalf of someone else. And so two of Moses' friends came alongside him. One was on his right and one was on his left. And you know what they did? Well, they each took one arm and they lifted it up. And then he prayed and Israel won. And together, we're going to find this amazing power of prayer on behalf of others. Moses prayed for people, even though they were far from God and spiritually bankrupt. And we're going to get into that too in chapter 32. Uh, it's after the Israelites have bowed down to the golden calf and Moses intervenes. He intercedes with God on behalf of these people who look like they're so far from God. And the amazing thing about Moses is that he actually expected his prayers to make a difference. He really thought that his prayers would cause something to happen. Let me ask you this. If you're honest about your life right now, do you find yourself with that kind of faith? Do you really believe that prayer moves the hand of God? I heard a great story about a pastor who probably shouldn't have been a pastor because he had such little faith in God. But one day he went to visit a woman in a hospital and he talked to her for a little while. And then he said to her, is there anything I do for you? And she said, well, you can pray for me. He said, well, what do you want me to pray for? She said, I want to, I want you to pray that I would be healed. You know, she's in the hospital because she needs healing. And the pastor prayed, God, uh, would you heal our sister? She's in pain and she's having a hard time. And so would you give the doctors wisdom? 
Uh, we don't know what the best thing is, but uh, if it be your will, if it at all possible, would you heal her? You know, we don't expect much. So if you don't heal her, just let her know that you're here with her. He's kind of prayed that kind of prayer. And he finishes the prayer with, you know, God, if it's by, you know, some stretch, if it's possible that you would heal her, would you just please heal her body? And then for the next few moments, she sits there in the bed and she says, you know what? I think I'm feeling better. Like I'm actually better. And she gets up out of the bed. She walks to the doctor and says, you know what? I'm feeling better. I've been healed. And so the doctor does a check upon her. And to his amazement, there's nothing wrong with her. And so she checks out of the hospital. She just drives away. And the pastor goes to his car exhausted. And he says a little prayer. God, don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> Let me just ask you a question. Who are you praying for with great anticipation? For whom are you saying, God, pour out your presence on this life? There are people in your life who have been bowing down before a golden calf. I mean, there are people in your life who worship idols. They may not be physical and made out of gold, but idolatry is the only alternative to God that's available to human beings. They don't have anyone praying for them. No one is doing for them what Moses did for the children of Israel. You can do this. You really can. And it'll make a difference. God responds to the prayers of his people. Right now, you may ask God to begin bringing to your mind the face and the name of someone who you need to be praying for. And this leads to the fourth thing that will happen as we study the life of Moses. We will share God's heart for people. Like Moses, you and I can be difference makers in our community, partnering with God to redeem humanity one person at a time. There was an amazing thing about Moses. Very often when he looked at people, he saw them with God's eyes and he felt for them with God's heart. Uh, in the story we just read, Moses was born. His parents were afraid that he was going to die because this decree had come down from Pharaoh that all Jewish children should be killed. And so they hid him for a while. And when he was too big uh, to hide anymore, they put him in a little bassinet that would float. And Pharaoh discovered Moses. And for a brief time, he stayed with his family. Eventually, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's household and was given an amazing education. He was raised as a member of Pharaoh's household and as a person of prominence. He was raised as a powerful Egyptian. And one day, he looked at the Israelites. Uh, in this household where he now lived, everyone else saw a cheap labor pool slaves, aliens, uh, despised people. Moses didn't. He saw people who were precious in the eyes of God, and he was willing to sacrifice his position and comfort to go and be with them. He, had, he identified with them. They became his people, and he didn't have to do that. He did it at enormous personal sacrifice. Moses could have stayed in the court, and his life would have been infinitely easier. He had God's heart for people, he was willing to sacrifice his position and comfort to love people. And when the time came, he taught these people about God. They were not receptive always, but he didn't back down. He wanted others to know God, and they became a nation. And then he made provisions for foreigners who would be in their midst so that they too could become part of the people of God. And we're going to develop that kind of heart because God still has this dream. 
and it's still being held together by a thin thread, and that's you and me. When you look at the people around you, what do you see? I think God is waiting for some of us to realize how much people matter to him. God is still looking for people who will be a part of his community, pour out their lives, develop relationships with other people, and share the good news of Jesus Christ, apart from which men and women are headed for a Christless eternity. God is still looking for people who will bring the saving news of Jesus and build his community. And I want to ask you to make a commitment in this area of inviting At some point this week, will you extend an invitation to at least one person? Maybe it's someone you've been praying for. Just send them a note with an invitation that says, you know, there's a series that we're in right now. It's about ordinary people like me and you, you know, doing extraordinary things. I'd love for you to join me. And if you're willing to do that, I just want to pray for you right now. If you're willing to make that commitment, let's pray. God, I just pray that you would give us the kind of heart that you gave Moses for people. And if those who are listening right now are willing to make that commitment, I pray that you would give them a sense of boldness as they reach out to invite others to this community of faith. And I pray that you would soften the hearts and open the minds of those who would be receptive to those invitations and that you would expand this community of faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 845, 10, and 1115. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.